Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Uh, that was thoroughly entertaining, don't you think? <laughs> well done. And if she uh, stops the career here, she can always go to homework. Phone now and you get a pen. <laughs> I'm going to take a sip of water, sorry. So remember last week I told you guys we walked forever and prayed. And the first 30 minutes I still prayed and the last 30 minutes I survived. I wasn't complaining. I was just saying I'm unfit. It's fun, fun to walk. Come, there'll be a shorter and a longer route this time. Now can I ask the notes quickly to be handed out? I've made some notes, I'm, I'm amazing. Hey? <laughs> Basically unfit. <laughs> I'm also quite sweaty, so I'm just going to take a few moments to, to cool down. Thank you. Just pass the notes around. Don't look at them, just keep them. Right. Now, during the week, we get together as the full-time staff here, and we talk about the message that's coming up on the Sunday. And then we get different perspectives from the voices there. Um... I wasn't too excited about this portion, but I'm excited now. Different takes on it. Interesting portion, yeah, that um, I think there's somebody asking for another note there. Sorry, ne? But it's Colossians 2 verse 8 to 15 that we're going to go through this morning. You can open your Bibles or your apps there and get ready to read it. But as I read it, I thought, oh, it's such a, it wasn't speaking to me, such a, I can't say bland because the Word of God isn't bland. It's just proven me wrong again by getting me excited about this, this portion. But thank you, Father, for the privilege to preach your Word. Thank you, Father, that there's always relevance and nuggets of gold in every portion that we read, if we just apply ourselves. Thank you, Father, that you can take my hard heart and you, you mold it and you can speak into it through Scripture. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you that you brood upon your Word. Thank you that you are eager to explain your Word to us when we ask you. You are so faithful, my God. Give me the ability to share your heart this morning in Jesus' name. Cool, let's read it together. His word is amazing and powerful, and just by the reading of his word, strongholds come tumbling down. 
Colossians 2 verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. In Him. It's Him. He. Christ. We enter an interesting part here. We're going into a section of Colossians which the theologians and the commentaries describe as Christ preeminent in doctrine. Doctrine meaning what we believe. If you're anything like me and you grew up in church... I can't say I was always committed and faithful and in love with Jesus, but I was in church. I was taught a lot of things, a great deal of things. Some of them fundamental building blocks in my life, and some of them somebody's opinion. We're talking about, this portion speaks about baptism. You know that I was taught that if I'm not baptized, I'm not going to go into heaven. So I'm filled with the Holy Spirit at 12, given my life to God at like 6 or 7. Accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my trespasses. Father, I put my faith in, the, in your Son. In Jesus, I, I believe you are my, my key to life. I, I'm able to speak in tongues, which the, the Bible describes as one of the ways that, that, that shows that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. But I'm taught that, so sorry, because... I wasn't underwater and somebody said a few magical words or some phrases over me. The God of love is going to say, sorry. My doctrine was shaped by opinions and by God. And then later I discovered I can read the Bible <laughs> for myself. Yo, what a rebel. <coughs> And God gave me a brain that could ask questions and decipher things and research and ask questions and get answers. Doctrine. Interesting part of our Christian walk. What is your doctrine based on? How much of your doctrine is hearsay? And how much of it is rhema word inspired by the Holy Spirit? It's a relevant question for today, this day and age. Because if you do not have from God, you will not stand 
against opinions. It's a fact. The only time I could stand against, I'm not going to go to hell if I'm not pushed under. Because for heaven's sake, if I swim, I'm underwater. But until I understood that it is a public declaration of me dying to myself and being raised with Christ, therein lies my testimony. There is no wonder and magic about it. It is just an act of obedience which God says I will smile upon. Experience my favor. Because I love Him. Then I could say, you shall not deceive me. You shall not lie to me or make God's word anything other than it is. A handbook, a living handbook to exploring Him and experiencing Him for life and fullness. What do you believe? Can it be tested? Will it fail? I think I've got four points that we're going to go through. If you look at your notes, recap of the, the book of Colossians, I even splashed a bit on you guys. Color map. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh, thank you, Father. Geographical background, a little bit of theological background, and then I gave you the outline of Colossians. Anybody have a study Bible? Well, anybody opened a study Bible lately? should look familiar. Most study Bibles give you an outline. I've highlighted in gray or low-lighted it, false philosophy versus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 8 to 15, that's the portion that we're in. Christ preeminent in doctrine. Now, something interesting that I've put on here is the, it's, it says the in Christ, the central theme. Can you see it there? Just underneath the table. The in Christ. As you read through Colossians, you cannot but notice that everything is in Him. In Him. With Him. Through Him. In Him. In Him. It's a theme of the book. Now as you go through a Bible book, I want to say as you read it, ask yourself, why are they repeating it? Intelligent brain should say, I'm not, why are you repeating it? It's a letter that he's writing to church. Why is he repeating in Him? Because maybe they need to hear it a couple of times. As humans, we are slightly thick sometimes. We don't get it. That's the one answer. The other answer is it is very important to understand and be reminded that we are in Him. He is not in us. You get it? So I've gone and I've written here. Uh, they are how many? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 in Him's. In the entire book of Colossians, the letter. This morning, in the portion that we just read, we're dealing with five of them. Who can remember them? Come on. Just one. Give me a shout out. Somebody give me an in him that we just read in the word. That's it. Come on. Give that man a coffee and a notebook. Gratis. In Him, the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. It's one of them. I've left them low. I'm hoping that you will go and read this portion again and fill those five things in and ask 
the Holy Spirit to come and make it alive in you. It's another way you can study the Bible, is look out for those things that are repeated and repeated and repeated. Make a note of it and say, God, how do I apply this? All right, so that's just a little bit of, of um, I thought, let's, let's talk about different ways to read the Bible. Oh, thank you, Father. So the first point I'm saying is take you captive. Takes you captive. He, he, he reads this thing, and let me tell you how I read it the first time I read this portion. See to you that no one takes you captive. Yes, I'll stand my ground. By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Went one step further, went and researched what is elemental spirits. At that day and age, there were people that called themselves the mystics and the guys who held the mystery of the day and age. And the elemental spirits were fire, earth, wind, and water, the elemental spirits. And they were saying through these things, when we understand it, we can make sense of life. So I thought, well, how am I going to be taken captive? I'm going to be taken captive by philosophy. I'm going to be taken captive by empty deceit. I'm going to be taken captive by human tradition. I'm going to be taken captive by elemental spirits and teaching about that. Do you understand how I read it the first time? And then you start reading it again. And then you start researching it again. And you read a couple of commentaries. And then you don't go and settle on the one that you like most. <laughs> which we all just like to do because we like to be right. You go and look at the balanced approach to what is the commentaries and what, is, what do they say about this? What, what do the historians say? Josephus and whoever they can reference that was there and recorded the, the day and age. And I found something completely different. And at this point I was humbled because yet again, God takes our intelligence and confounds it and just says, park it away, my son. Listen to this. And it makes sense to read it like that because don't, don't be philosophy like Vince Vitale just said. He studied philosophy. Philosophy, when you think about it, Socrates, Aristotle. What was that, Steve? I'm sure Vince Vitale said he studied philosophy. Yeah, Sure. He studied philosophy, but he studied Socrates, Aristotle, and those guys, the philosophers. You go and study philosophy, that's what you are confronted with. And what is it that they say in philosophy? I, uh, I think, therefore, I am. And then they contemplate life and the meaning of life, and they go nowhere around the same debate. All of the time. So you can be led astray by philosophy. Not a problem. The interesting thing, though, is, is um, you know, I'm very woke. Why are you laughing, Kat? I'm woke. It's jargon of the day. The millennials know that I really am woke. It means you are relevant. You, 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 like you, you, yeah, it does. It does. And you get, you get what's happening, you know, like, whatever. Thank you. This is a shout out there. But, but this is what Paul is doing. He's talking to the church in relevant jargon of the day and age. 
Philosophies were simply any teaching held out by a person. So a magician could have a philosophy. A Christian could have a philosophy. Uh, a naturalist could have a philosophy. He is addressing that thing that was being taught. So he's using this because the church in that day and age knew when he spoke about their philosophy that, that it was Christ. It was the teaching of the day and age. So what he's saying there is that do not get taken captive by the philosophy that is influenced by deceit, that philosophy that's influenced by human tradition, and that philosophy that is influenced by elemental spirits. Do not fall for a fake relationship with Christ. Dare I say, do not fall for a fake Christianity. He is questioning their doctrine. What do you believe? What is interesting here is this, this man Paul says, this philosophy that you hold, that we hold, let's just talk about it. I believe in Jesus Christ. Wonderful. I believe in Jesus Christ plus being baptized, otherwise there's no salvation. I believe in Jesus Christ, and if I don't tithe, He withholds His love. I believe in Jesus Christ, and if I don't clap my hands loudly and, and, and do the drum, He's not worshipped. I believe in Jesus Christ, and men and women are not equal before God. False philosophy. What is influencing your doctrine? That's what this man is saying. What is interesting how Paul positions this to the church in Colossae is that he is saying human tradition, man's interpretation is just as bad as demonic forces. Now, all of us know that when that demonic force comes, we say, in the name of Jesus, you have no power and no authority. There is no debate about it because the name of Jesus is above all, and the Holy Spirit is more powerful than anything. We know this. We can recognize when there's the work of the enemy. We can sniff our demons when you've been in Pentecostal long enough. So it happens that it's behind every bush. But you know what we don't stand against? It's human tradition. And Paul is saying, hey boy, woke up. <laughs> Wake up! Do not be deceived that sometimes human tradition, if it is not measured against the doctrine of Christ in Him, in Him, in Him, it is going to take you captive as a false philosophy. Slight different take to four things that are taking you captive versus one thing that is influenced by many other things taking you captive. What is the application for us today? I love the enthusiasm about getting baptized. We'll never stand against it. The Bible made it as clear as that. Come 
be baptized, when you've accepted Jesus Christ. The burden is on us as Christians to help those people that say, I want to be baptized and talk, talk to us, to explain to them what it is. Brings me to my second point. The baptism. He speaks about here. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised you from the dead. Baptism is the act of becoming part of Jesus Christ in the sense of dying to yourself and being raised to life in Him. It's the simple summary of that verse 12. That's what He says. I want to say there's a couple of motives behind baptism that we need to look out for as Christians. When somebody thinks to gain access to heaven and His fa favor this side of eternity, we need to be awake. Because that's legalism. Nothing, nothing that you do makes Him love you more. Nothing that you've done when it's forgiven by Christ makes Him cut you off. We do things because we are accepted, loved, approved, and in obedience we act before our God. The second motive behind it is, is when we say to appease our conscience in our situation of willful sin. Oh, I just need to be baptized again because I'm really struggling with this one thing. That's religion, guys. Jesus goes and he sits with the sinners in their sinful situation. And he says, do you mind if I join you? Not in the sin, but in person. And he talks to the debt collectors and the cheats and the robbers and the, the hypocrites. And he sits with them and he communes with them and he, he teaches them a different way right there. And in that sinful situation, he says, come I'll show you there's a better way. The third one is to honor God, to be raised to different life in Christ. A motive of understanding the proper grace and love of God. Not making it cheap. Like, ah, okay, I can sin. It's all right. There's grace. He'll forgive me because His grace is enough. His grace is enough, but it's not cheap. And you don't have the right to make a decision about it. Understand empowering grace. Understand forgiving grace. Understand the multi-dimensions of grace before you just apply it blanketly like, ah, I can just keep sinning because His grace is just enough. But the motive behind it when you can say, Yo, I know people might not see me different. I might still look the same. I might still talk the same. But here, He has renewed me. I am not the same. And you say, please, can I be baptized? And we say, for sure. Where's the closest pool? 
except in the months of June, July, and August. <laughs> Where's the closest body of water? Let's do this. Gather the people. It is a testimony. Let them all come and witness the change of life that God can bring. And as you raise and you rise up out of the water, you start feeling the empowering of Him who calls you son and daughter, and you are able to walk far differently than you did before. Second one in this scripture is circumcision. Verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You're telling me there's circumcision without hands? Some gentleman, then that, does it mean circumcision without pain? You go and read through the Old Testament. Some guys, ripe age of 40 and 50, called, come, we're going to circumcise you. And they stood in a queue, some of them. All you could pray for is to be the first one when that blade is clean and, and sharp. But here you're saying circumcision done without hands. You've got to ask yourself when you read it, what is he talking about? You go and look up the word circumcision, and you can see that it's something that's being cut, dulled, chopped. Here it's done without hands. What does it mean? I'm glad you ask. Jesus is talking about circumcision being a sign of covenant with God. Covenant. The purest, most intense relational connectedness that is described in the Bible. Where somebody says, I will bind myself with you until one of us is no more. Covenant. And the wonder is here, is if he was only speaking about circumcision with a hand, it meant that only the men were eligible. And he gives truth to that scripture that says, no longer slave or free man, no longer male or female, no more, longer Greek, or Jew. In Christ, we are all the same in our connection, our covenant with Him. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Covenant, this, this sort of covenant was introduced by, by Abram when God said, I'll make a covenant with you. All your boys will be circumcised as a sign that you're sold out to me. Covenants, first sign of a covenant is that it means you stand for something different and you are part of something different. Your standard is higher. The easiest thing was to eat pig. There were plenty of them. I mean, the entire herd dropped over the side of a cliff and nobody batted an eye. There must have been pigs everywhere. But you will stand for a higher standard. Raise your sheep. Shepherd them well. The second the thing that it stands for, it's a sign of belonging. Whose you are. 
And the third thing about covenants is to know that there's somebody in the receiving part of circumcision and somebody in the, the doing part. And God says, I come and I make covenant with you. No longer do I depend on your covenant with me. I make covenant with you when Jesus came and died for you. The beauty is that we, we think this is a new thing when Romans speaks about a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And we think, oh, Jesus came and he changed circumcision from circumcision in the physical to, to the heart. But it was right there in Deuteronomy. Can I read you a beautiful part of the scripture? A passage, are you ready? Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 22. I don't know if we'll read all of it, but listen to this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it, Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart. And be no longer stubborn, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God. Who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen? Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. Covenant. And all he asks of you, is will you dull the desires of your heart that crave after every other thing that you see? Will you dull that part of your heart and only fall in love with Him as your first love? Can you cut off the desires of your heart, the wants for that thing and that thing and the car and the promotion and the wife and the, the fiancé and the... Oh, can you cut that off and just focus on me with your first love and pour it out on me because I loved you. Circumcision covenant. And as I land, let's see what can we do with this. This portion that started out being something to me that I didn't want to preach on. I really thought, oh my goodness, I'll just go through elemental spirits and explain what that is. Earth, water, fire, heart, captain planet. God comes and he reveals in this portion to me that he speaks of covenant circumcision. He speaks of baptism, which for me is a sign of redemption. That we should not forget that our doctrine is all about Christ and the covenant in him. The redemption that we have in Christ. And then he ends with this beautiful 
last point of mine, that, not my point isn't lovely, it's his scripture that's lovely. It says, verse 10, and you have been filled in him, full and overflowing, who is the head of all rule and all authority. And we are comfortable with this rule and all authority when we want to pray our, 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 our prayers. It says we have dominion and power and authority and we stand upon it, Christ. And, and we're comfortable with that. But what are we filled with in Christ according to this? Is it just authority and power that we can shout at any situation and say, cast you down into the oceans and mountains be moved? I want to say not even close. We have this thing at the supper table. We eat around the supper table every evening. I know it's very old of us, but it's sometimes the only time that we get to catch up as a family. So it's a big thing in the household. And then on a Wednesday, it's family night, and they know they can watch movies. Then I'll get this. Can I be excused? Excused to go and do what? Can never decipher what they say. Because they know the reasons won't, won't be valid. I want to go watch a movie. I want to do this. No, no, no. No, sit. But daddy, I am full. You know what my standard response is? Full of nonsense, yes. What are we full of as Christians? Your response is? Full of nonsense. In our own ways, we are full of nonsense. But in Christ, what are we full of? What are you full of? If the world comes and squeezes you, what, what drains out of you? The situations are hard. What flows out of you? We were at this, we had the privilege of doing the intermediary school camp for the King's School this week. And um, there were 90 kids there. And Marlies on the Thursday evening said, if there are any of you that feel like you have lost hope, Please come to the front. There were 90 children there under the age of 13, from age of 10, say 9 to 13, 90 kids. You know that two-thirds of them went to the front because they feel they have no hope. Isn't it a sign of our society? If the world comes and squeezes you, does my hope in Christ come out? Or does my, oh, this world is going to the dogs and essay with it. The hopelessness, is that what pours out of us? Or does Christ, our hope of glory, pour out of us? But he comes here and, uh, to, to land what we are full of, um, according to what I felt of God here, is two words. Impute and propitiation. Impute simply means to represent something as being done. Finished. Imputed. It is done. Theologically, this word means Christ's righteousness 
has been imputed to us. What did he say on the cross? It is done. It is that fullness and finality that he spoke of on the cross when he said, Father, it is done. I resign my body, my soul, and my spirit into your, into your, your keep. I, I'm done. It is done. Imputed righteousness. You know what the fullness of the word is? Is sometimes it's not deserved. I want to say according to this portion, what we are full of is the righteousness of Christ. The other word that I threw out at you guys just to show that I know English is propitiation. It means becoming something on behalf of someone else. Jesus is our propitiation. He became our guilt, our sin, our unrighteousness, our brokenness. He became it. And He emptied us in that one moment of all of our guilt and shame. And He said, but wait. It's not all. I don't just take away, but I fill you up with my righteousness, my fullness. And the simple act that we rush through when we say to people, come and bow your knee to the Savior of this world, Jesus Christ, accept Him as your Savior and your Lord. That we sometimes rush through. When that person says, I accept you, Jesus, in that moment, He becomes their propitiation and He empties them out. And He imputes on them the righteousness of the one who is flawless. He says, be filled. You are not full of nonsense. You are full of sense. Your life will make sense. You will have purpose. You will have destiny. You will have life. And you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. All our trespasses. He wants nothing, no guilt, no shame, to stand between you and his presence. It is gone. It is done. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, does he set aside, nailing it to the cross? They used to take the piece of paper that said, I owe you this, I owe that this. And when it was paid, they would nail it and say, it is done. Tradition of the day. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. His portion he speaks about and reminds us covenant is in him but it's for us he comes and he speaks to us of redemption in the baptism and he says it's for you but it's through me i've redeemed you and he comes and he says 
You are worth me pouring myself out into you. I will fill you with myself. I wonder if for a few moments you can close your eyes and just consider the point where he became your propitiation, where he took your guilt and shame away. Consider and think back of that moment when he poured himself into you so that life will make sense, so that you can be filled with all his righteousness. The only way we can stand in the presence of God is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Father, I pray that this week as we read through this, this portion, that we will be reminded that even though it is an easy process, it wasn't an, an easy thing for you to do. It wasn't a cheap thing for you to do, to give yourself for us so that we can live. Remind us, God, right now, even in this moment, where those things have become dull, where we've lost the splendor and the wonder of calling you Lord and Savior, where our doctrine has become, yeah, I accepted Him, but or I've accepted Him plus, or I've accepted Him minus the call for righteousness. Remind us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Last point in wrapping this up. Why is it important for you to be reminded about your day of salvation? Because we want you to feel guilty about it. Eh? Why? Why is it Wonderful for you to remember. Yes, it's wonderful because you're no longer a slave. And you are free and you're going to live with God. That's one of, But why is it important for you to remember your day of salvation? Because if He could do it for you, He can do it for anyone. There has to be application to understanding His Word. He reminds you this morning, He reminds me this morning, what He saved me into, from, and when He did it. And that point when I could raise my head up high and say, I'm no longer ashamed. I'm no longer guilty. I am free. Because heaven knows if He could do it for me, there is hope for others. If you are in a situation where somebody is hopeless, remember your day of salvation. And present to them the hope of Christ. When there's a person who is broken and emotionally crying, devastated, remember your day of salvation because there is healing for them. If there's a person who is suffering with an illness, remember your day of salvation. There's healing in Christ. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.